Hello and welcome to another episode of the Richards Report. I'm Ted Richards. Yes, it's been a while since the last podcast, so apologies. It's been a busy 2021 for me so far. My wife and I had our third child. We moved house, homeschooling. I've even done some further study and had to sit in the exam. And I know that these are just excuses, but it did require me to take some attention some more attention away from the podcast than uh, I hoped. But the good news is I'm back, and you've probably seen, I'm back with the new logo. I've gone with a bit of a a rebrand. Great work by the Richards Report Marketing Department, which is in fact me signing up for Canva and giving this thing a go. On that note, we're hearing so much about Canva, but I'd actually never used it before. Well, I signed up and, and got into it, and guess what? It's bloody good so good that I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Canva might go places. Could be a good company to look into. So um, you heard it here first. Enough about that prediction. I'm back with a fantastic episode, which I know that you're really going to enjoy. But before we get into that, I've signed up to be an ambassador to support the great work that the Fred Hollows Foundation does to help restore sight to the needlessly blind around the world. In August of this year, the foundation will be running Fred's Big Run, a virtual challenge throughout August where you can run or walk your challenge distance. So I've signed up to do it and I'm aiming to run at least 100Ks during the month. And guess what? I want you to be involved too. I've put together a Richards Report team for anyone and everyone that would like to step up with me and give this a go. Don't worry, this isn't some competitive group. It's just about getting a group of like-minded people together and supporting a great cause and and hopefully getting fit along the way. It doesn't need to be running 100K in a month. It could be walking 50K in a month, and that's just a couple of Ks a day. It's all about getting out and getting moving. Some of you are probably already thinking about signing up and joining me in this challenge, but the self-doubts and what-ifs have already begun to creep in. Well, don't listen to them. Often the hardest part in doing something like this is just simply starting. So back yourself and join the Richards Report team. If you're listening right now or you've listened to a previous episode of the Richards Report podcast, then congratulations, you qualify for the team. Hopefully we have some fun along the way, get fit and raise some much needed funds. If you're interested in finding out more info and joining the team, then go to fredsbigrun.org and search for the Richards Report team. I'll also have a link in the episode description or you can um, um, hit me up on Instagram at tedrichards25 or Twitter at tedrichards25 um, with, a, with a DM. Okay, on to my guest for this episode, Matt is the founder and CEO of Tractor Ventures. As you will hear in in our discussion, Tractor isn't your typical early stage venture capital fund. It's fascinating to learn how Matt and his team considers the early stage companies they invest in and the support he provides these growing businesses. If you're interested in startups, entrepreneurship, early stage investments, what makes a good founder and what makes a good early stage investor, then you're really going to love this episode. As always, the usual disclosures. This episode is just for educational purposes only and does not qualify as financial advice and people may hold positions in the companies discussed. That's enough of a build-up. 
It's great to be back. Let's get into the good stuff. My name is Ted Richards. You're listening to The Richards Report. And here is Matt Allen from Tractor Ventures. You're listening to The Richards Report, where we will speak with investment experts from around the country. We will cut through the jargon to allow you to make more insightful investment decisions for your future. This is The Richards Report. Hi, Matt. Welcome to The Richards Report podcast. G'day. All right. As I mentioned in the intro, um, Matt is the founder and CEO of Tractor Ventures. And um, before we get into the details of Tractor, Matt, and your story. So for listeners that not, might not be familiar with some of the terminology used in the industry, Matt, what is a traditional VC model is one question. And the other part is, how is Tractor different? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, by the way. Um, so venture capital is... Um, is, is an equity investment. So venture capital is all about buying shares in a company that everybody hopes is going to go off and have disproportionately large returns. Um, and when we say disproportionately large, we mean hundreds or thousands of times, you know, the share price that we bought, we bought today. Um, you know, I, I'm an equity investor as well. I have about 50 early stage investments in, in the portfolio I share with my wife. Um, and venture is all about very, uh, you know, very large returns, you know, high risk, high return. Um, in venture, they work in a portfolio theory, which is they will spread their money around. And it's likely that one or two of the investments they make go very, very, very well. And the rest either return maybe one X their money or go to zero. They're completely okay with some of their investments going to zero. It's just the price you pay of, of betting on things that are early and have the ability to scale you know, very, very um, well and quick. So, um, which, which is, before we move on to how Tractor's different, it, it's, it's interesting to explore that because this isn't a type of investment style that is appropriate for every retail investor. You know, say for those that might be wanting to save up for a home deposit or something of that, that they can't um, take on that level of risk. Um, venture, which venture comes with. So, and the other thing I want to speak about is, you know, most retail investors, mums and dads um, that invest in listed investments that might be on the stock market, let's call it blue chip stocks like BHP or Telstra, you know, if they can do a 10 bagger, as Peter Lynch, the famous hmm. investor calls it, that's huge. That is incredible. Yep. But what you're talking about is hundreds, possibly thousands of multiple, multiple. So um, yep. <laughs> there's a flip side to that coin, which you, you actually called out things can go to zero quickly. And uh, we don't typically see that with, uh, say, the blue chip stocks. Yeah. The other uh, important thing to, to think about when we talk about um, venture investing or even angel investing, which is sort of what comes before venture investing, is that it's, in it's an illiquid asset. The likelihood of you being able to pull your money out when you want it is almost nil. Um, that does change down the track if you've got a very exciting company um, you think about a Canva or one of these privately held, very large scale companies where everybody wants to buy shares. That said, it's still not something you can sell on demand. Um, and also the other really important thing to think about is the time frame of lockup. You know, the likelihood of you being able to get anything out of this, even if you can sell your shares even earlier before an IPO, is likely to be five to eight years, if not more. Uh, so yeah, it's very, very different from buying a shell Telstra share today and selling it tomorrow. If um, you know, after their announcement, they've just acquired somebody and getting a, a 10% bump. Yeah. Okay. And 
you, you kind of gave us some hints as to kind of um, how tractors different there in that you, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, addressed liquidity issues and probably a problem you solve for founders. So um, yeah. uh, without, without me kind of going down that, can you tell us a bit about how tractors different? Sure. So maybe I'll just start with the problem that we solve. So um, the problem we solve for um, for founders and founders being our customers are uh, that not everybody is building a business, a technology business that has the ability to uh, either one has the ability to scale to those astronomical heights or two, and more importantly, sometimes a founder doesn't want to do that, right? Not every founder wants to build a company that has thousands of employees and billions of dollars in revenue. It's just not for everybody. The interesting problem that I saw when I was working at Amazon Web Services on the venture capital team there is that, you know, there's so many technology founders out there who are building great products. Like these are products that are solving problems for people, a lot of them B2B, uh, which is definitely where we play. So, you know, they're solving problems for other businesses. They're charging good money for it. And they've got really happy customers, really efficient teams. You know, the the thing I think that's um, really interesting is as you build a technology company that has the ability to scale, then, you know, the people who want to buy the shares and they get all excited about, cool, I'm going to buy a share in a thing that might turn into the next Atlassian or the next Canva or the next Spotify. So if they can see a glimpse of that, then people want to buy your shares off you. Um, as a founder then, you know, if people are really excited to buy your shares off you, then you might want to consider maybe not selling them all or not selling any of them if you can. You know, selling equity is not the best way to scale, is the best way to capitalize your company. And the interesting part, and, and as you'd appreciate on this podcast, is every other business on earth, not everybody's flogging shares willy-nilly in their companies to get the money in to build the company to grow. So Tractor does it differently. Um, we're all founders ourselves and we want founders to have the optionality as to whether they want to grow a profitable company. They might want to raise some, some equity in the future or even sell the company if it gets to the point where it's, it's great for them. Uh, so we do revenue-based finance. So they're basically financing and loans. It's a special kind of loan. It's a loan that gets paid back via a, a revenue share, a, 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 usually a 5% revenue share. So, you know, if they have, if their revenue goes up and down, the payments go up and down with it. If they grow, the payments go, go grow with them, but it's a really nice way to sort of um, cash flow their business. Uh, and so we work with companies that are doing at least $50,000 a month in revenue, but it does scale all the way up. Uh, several are doing a lot more than that. And it's a really interesting thing when we talk to founders around how they capitalize their business and how they think about the different parts of their business you know, every other business on earth thinks about the different parts of their business and they'll finance different parts of it differently. Uh, up until just recently, if you're a technology founder and you needed to get some money onto the balance sheet so you could invest it into your business to grow, you sold a share. So you sell a share for a dollar, the dollar comes to your business, that dollar does all the jobs inside your business, whether it be, you know, hire an expensive software engineer to build the platform, whether it be hire a salesperson, whether it be going to Google ads, Facebook ads, all the things that it does. Um, and in reality, some of those things have a shorter ROI. Some of those things you'll be able to put a dollar into. And if your company's running well and you understand your business, it'll actually drive your top line relatively quickly. And we ask founders to have a think about the different parts of their business 
and how they might be able to finance different parts of it or fund different parts of it. If you need to build a product that requires 10 engineers and it's going to take 18 months to do before you can even put it in front of anybody, paying any kind of interest or any kind of, you know, uh, any kind of interest on that is a bad idea, especially since you don't know it's going to work, you hope it's going to work. The party businesses that are working, selling a share for a dollar today, and if you happen to double your revenue in 12 months' time and that share is now worth $2, that's an expensive share to sell back then. So maybe you could finance that part of your business differently. And that's the conversations we have with founders every day. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So, um, yeah, to raise money, you, you can sell equity or you can use debt, which is kind of the, the revenue model that which you touched on. Does, Matt, does that mean that a lot of your investors or your, your partners are often considering you against the traditional VC model? Yeah, so there's kind of two archetypes of our customers, of the founders that we, we really love to deal with. There's the bootstrap founders. So these are founders who have basically funded their own company. They've, um, they've managed to invest enough in it to get to the point where they can charge customers for it and they've grown behind their own revenue curve and they don't have anyone else besides the founders uh, on, the, on that cap table. Um, it's just them. So they're an interesting bunch um, and there's a lot of them who make them really efficient companies who actually have a lot of revenue. Um, uh, but some of them, uh, the, and the other archetype are ones who are funded by um, investors, usually angel investors or you know, friends and family. So they are going down the, we're happy to take other people into our business. And, and then of that archetype, there's kind of two, there's one that's got to the point where we've taken some investors, but we really want to sort of grow at our own pace. The other ones are actually, we're growing really well and we've got some term sheets from new investors coming in, but we're not quite happy with the, the, the terms on the term sheet. You know, the valuation might be too low. The percentage that they would um, want to buy for the capital they want to inject is too high. And they're like, you know what? We're going to use tractor money to just push this conversation down the line 12 months. So we're growing. We've got revenue flowing. We know we're on a good thing. We just want to push that conversation out. And you know, arguably as an equity investor with my equity investor hat on, which is still a blue cap, um, yep. you know, I want to invest in good deals, not cheap deals. So, you know, if a founder did that and they're like, we're going to come back to you in 12 months time, the good investors will be like, that's great. You've sort of de-risked it even further for us. So we should be able to even have more confidence in investing. So, but from a founder's perspective, yeah, you're either kind of this bootstrapped founder who doesn't really um, entertain the idea of bringing other people in their company or they're, they're already there, but we just want to grow a little bit faster and, and push that conversation out um, down the line further. Okay, so that's that's the investment style or the investment philosophy of, of Tractor. Let's kind of zoom in on maybe how you, you look at opportunities. And um, I want to um, start off here. I noticed a tweet that you tweeted um, earlier this week where you, um, you mentioned that you will raise capital off a well-written narrative instead of a a well-written deck. And I want to spend a bit of time on this because um, it's it's quite interesting. So how do you separate a good investment opportunity from someone who might just be a good salesperson and that can actually only tell a good story? Yeah, it's, it's like whether it's a deck or whether it's a narrative, you've got the same problem, which is, you know, a deck and a narrative solve the same problem, which is let's start a conversation. You know, let's explore and dig into the team, you know, the co-founders, the team, the product, the market, all the things that are there. But, you know, a, a pitch deck that's got lots of graphs that inevitably go up on the right, you know, has a quadrant with the, you know, the, the two axis competition, all that kind of stuff is all well and good. But, you know, 
if there's two kinds of decks, there's the deck that someone talks over, which is very light on detail. And then there's this super dense deck that has all this sort of data in it, but quite often it's quite compacted. And I think there's, there's somewhere in the middle, which is use your data, use all those things, but there's an arc, there's a narrative arc that if someone can read it, if you can write it down and talk about, you know, the hypothesis behind it, you know, start off with that why, and it's not, and, and then write the words go along with it. And it's a bit of an artifact of my time at Amazon. Um, uh, in, uh, PowerPoints were banned at Amazon internally. We'd still use them for customers because, you know, the market required them. But internally, it was all three or six page memos or uh, um, a press release. Like we'd, we'd actually do a press release before we started building anything and, and work on that with a series of FAQs to go along with it. So the reason that is, is you can contribute. Everybody can collaborate on it. You know, you can get particular about the way you say stuff. And to answer your question about a good storyteller, ultimately being a good storyteller is part of being a founder. You know, every single person you talk to needs to be, you need to engage with them. You know, that starts off early trying to find a co-founder. It starts off trying to employ people. It starts off with customers and, and, and engaging with them and, and then investors if you go down that path. I mean, even if you're talking to us as Tractor, we want to know like where you're going and why you're doing it. And that why is, is really important. And I would argue that even if you had a deck, if you wrote a narrative that went alongside it, which is the words that go across the top, there's almost no downside to getting your thoughts out in a constructive way that has an arc that everybody follows along with. What you're talking about, the power of being a good storyteller and the, the benefits of that, as opposed to um, the negatives, which I kind of touched on in the question, is consistent with um, a former guest of the show and friend of the show, Nick Crocker, who um, who spoke about, you know, he's, um, he's a blackbird in a similar space with uh, looking at investments as you and, and actually called out that um, the power of, of storytelling is is important at, at this early stage. Let's let's shift a bit from looking at opportunities and kind of bring it probably a, a step back or two before that. I was just I was just thinking about your own situation and how you know you've got into the industry and, and maybe that uh, provide a bit of color on that with the, with your answer here. But for people wanting to get into the industry or or they've been in the industry and, and looking to start a a fund that is investing in these early stage investments, they can have somewhat of the same problem as the very same businesses they're looking to invest in. And that is getting enough trust for someone to write you a check. So Matt, I'm interested in your situation. You, you mentioned that you, um, you, you had some experience at the, the venture arm of, of Amazon web services, but um. How did you get your first outside investors to start investing in you? Yeah, it's um, it's actually quite a long journey. Um, I've been a founder three, and this is my fourth time as a founder at, at Tractor. So you know, I've had some investors along the way um, and some business partners. Uh, and then myself, I, I became an investor. So I, I became an angel investor in sort of 2012, 2013, where my wife and I started deploying some of our own capital, you know, relatively small checks in, in directly into the founders as well. Um, you know, exposure to the industry, I think is, is, is super important to get going. Um, and, you know, you touched, you, you spoke about Nick and Blackbird. So I worked with Blackbird as a, as a scout. They had a very early scout program with Nick actually um, before they had any Melbourne presence, which is where we are. So I did a couple of investments with them and, and that that came off the back of me being a kind of vocal uh, angel investor online. So um, earning trust. So 
uh, Nikki and Rick came down to Melbourne one day and said, can we grab a coffee? I'm like, this is interesting. Let's see what happens here. And next thing you know, I was writing checks on behalf of Blackbird, which was um, uh, exciting and, and novel and certainly allowed me to sort of understand a little bit more about the thinking and how these things get done. Um, in reality, fund management, the fund management side of things is not entirely difficult. It's all about the other side of it, right? If There's no point, you know, and back onto storytelling, um, with Tractor Ventures, I've raised off a bunch of uh, founders and high net worth and family offices. So there's no VC in Tractor and there'll never be any VC in Tractor because it's against the, what we do. It's a, uh, it'll be a narrative violation. Uh, so all those people um, were kind of zero degrees away from me. So um, every single founder that I'd invested in that was able to get a sophisticated investor certificate came in, which is a nice sort of circular validation of the work I'd been doing over the last seven or eight years. Um, a bunch of people I'd co-invested with. So I'd, I'd led a bunch of deals and then we'd had people co-invest that came in and said, if you ever do anything, let me know. Uh, so I guess all this is to say that it's really hard for a cold start. And the point you touched on as a funds manager and a founder um, with an idea, they're, they're the exact same thing. You know, the questions that would I'd be asking a funds manager is like, how are you different? If I'm an LP uh, sitting there with a check ready to deploy into a venture fund and I've got Nick standing there and I've got Rando standing there and, you know, I want to understand wh where I put my money and why. So again, it's a story. It's the ability to like, if you're going to start a fund, if you're going to invest in technology companies, you'd better have an angle because just generically investing in people doesn't, uh, the cold start problem is real. Yeah. Uh, we, we spoke a bit about investors there and this is an investment podcast. So let's, let's kind of um, just, just pause on that. From, from your point of view in your space, what makes a good investor? Uh, from my perspective, it's all about founder empathy. Um, and it's really tough. If you haven't run a technology business before, it's hard to understand some of the mechanics that come into play with this thing. Um, or if you haven't run a business at all, it, it'd be really hard to, to get your head around the, the amount of things you have to do. Um, so the ability to, to talk to a founder about the things they're going through, I think is a real advantage. Um, and in Australia, most of the most of the investors now are coming from that sort of there's a lot more operators in play. A lot of the big firms are hiring people that have that are that are now ex-founders to come in and sort of work on their investment team. Um, so, like that's that's a really important thing. The other thing I think is to be able to go deep on something. So, my first 15 years of my career, I was a software developer. So, the first I've got a bunch of investments in my portfolio that are tools for software developers. Um, and the reason I was able to invest in them is those founders came to me because they didn't know who else to talk to. They're like, you, you, you invest in things and you're a developer. Therefore I can talk to you at the level I need to talk to. So you understand the problem. So the generic statement I'll say is that if, you know, being able to understand the problem is really important. So the problem can be at a generic founder level because you're a founder or the next level down, which is I understand the customers, the problem that you're solving for your customers. And, as a um, as a, a founder, finding the people who understand the problem your customers have, so you don't have to educate them as to why you are building this thing, is like a shortcut. 
you know, yeah. my, my recommendation to every founder is find someone who knows the problem you're dealing with. So you can kind of skip the first couple of conversations because they're like, yeah, no, no, no. I understand that. I've lived that experience and I'm a bill. And if you've lived the experience and have the ability to write a check, that's an interesting found, uh, interesting investor for a founder to talk to. You mentioned founder empathy. Um, for those that may have not had much experience with startups, can you provide some kind of examples? And you don't have to mention names or, or, or businesses, problems that, that they've had beyond just needing more money? Yeah, look, money doesn't actually solve a lot of the problems all the time. It creates problems. Sometimes yep. too much of it creates even more problems. So like there's there's a bunch of reasons why it's not just money. Um, you know, we talk about, we always talk to founders about sort of getting smart money. Um, I think the other end of that spectrum, you know, by default is dumb money, but the worst part is annoying money. So the the challenge we've got as investors is how can we, we- can, we, can you actually break down- what smart money is, what dumb money is, and what annoying money is. Yeah, right. Uh, so uh, smart money, in my mind, is someone who has the ability to um, provide you more value than the capital they've, they've, they've put in. Um, and quite often, um, even me, like I don't write big checks. And I mean, small checks, I'm ten, fifteen thousand $15,000, right? These are not hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're tiny checks. But I always want to be the most helpful person on that cap table, especially relative to the capital I put in. Now, you can't do that unless you, A, understand the problem they're solving and you can actually try and, you know, help them at that level if they want you to, uh, you know, or, or B, you know, you know a lot of people that can. So that's sort of smart money. Okay, a bit more um, strategic. A bit more strategic, a little bit, you know, and usually I would say that they have um, domain expertise in the problem the startup's solving. Um, or they're hyper-connected into a network that they need um, and they're ready to use it. So they actually need to be able to sort of lean in and be proactive about it to the point the founder wants that proactiveness. You don't. So let's go to the other end. Let's go to yep. dumb money. So dumb money is literally someone who almost just follows on behind someone else. Um, but um, like there's good dumb money and bad dumb money. Good dumb money is they're really fast. They write a check, they're really fast and they basically never talk to you again until you provide them a return at some time in the future. Uh, bad dumb money is that they're dumb and they're slow. Like, like and they, they want to, they ask lots of questions around stuff that, that everyone else has already agreed to. And they're like, they start pu pulling it apart when the vast majority of your sophisticated and helpful investors are like, yeah, that's fine. Terms are fine, let's go. So that's dumb money. Annoying money is, um, and usually the, the best way to describe these people are um, early stage angel investors who are at the beginning of their career. They kind of want to meddle, you know, um, it's almost like they want to inject themselves into things where they really don't have a right to be there. So it's, it's like a, they want to be smart money, but they're not quite yet. Um, the other part of annoying money are people who didn't understand that first point we spoke about a few minutes ago, which is this is an illiquid asset that takes a long time, if any, to really hurt anything. And they're asking the founder about how they're going to get their money back. Like, if that's you, do not invest in early stage technology companies that take five to eight years to, to, to gestate and then hopefully you get some money back. But that annoying money is basically going, hey, founder, uh, I've made a horrible mistake. I need my money back. And you've just created this problem for the founder to try and deal with, which they're not obliged to, but they're probably going to try and help you. And it's going to take their eye off the ball. It's going to affect the business. It's going to knock on affect it. all the other investors. Like, hey, why is this founder spending all this time trying to get this person out of their cap table when they're just trying to grow the business. So that 
happens more often than not when you don't understand the asset class properly. And, you know, it's, it's the things you're used to invest, especially if you're a retail investor who's used to the liquidity, who's like, oh, I've changed my mind. I need that money back because the school fees are due. Like, that is not how this works. All right. There was a few other things uh, you mentioned there, which I wanted to explore. Maybe um, uh, we can come back to those. Now, no doubt you see a lot of businesses. I'm, a, I'm interested, what's at the top of the funnel? Like, um, how many companies do you meet with a year? With a year? I, I was actually having a look at the Tractor website and, and I could see that there's actually a form on your website, you know, that you use to capture new leads. So, yeah, in your answer, maybe if you could provide if there have been any businesses that you can share that have actually come to you via that channel. Yeah. So, um, referrals are... Uh really important um but as you said like the apply button on our website will take you two minutes to fill it in and um and we'll get back to you you know within 24 hours uh, and that gives us enough information to sort of quickly put you in a bucket as to whether or not it's sort of too early or we're ready to go and then we can sort of start the conversation uh but jody my co-founder and our CIO, we had 150 calls since we started in december of half an hour each so there's a lot of companies um who are keen uh, we've done 12 or 13 so far. So, you know, we're at sort of a 10%-ish uh, hit rate at the moment. Um, that's likely to go up. We haven't really updated the website. In fact, we've got 12 companies we need to start talking about and they're all sort of all in play now. Um, our shareholders refer us a lot, of, a lot of work. So we have a couple of VCs personally invested in Tractor because they understand that not every company they talk to is, is relevant and they're happy to flick them our way. Um, we're lucky enough to be um, pretty uh, visible on the internet, be it on Twitter or LinkedIn and so forth. So they get a lot of a lot of inbound from the things that we do, which is a lot of it's around education. You know, that first point we spoke about, which is, you know, technology founders raise capital from angels is like, that's how you do it. Well, you know, now we've got a slightly different angle on that. We need to tell everybody. And a lot of the conversations we have are like, did you know there's a new way to do this or, 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 another way to do this um maybe you should consider that if your business is ready for it um so i think that answered that question all right approximately seeing you know seeing 150 with you know a touch under 10 percent working their way through the funnel can you provide some specific examples and once again you can keep it anonymous but we'd love to hear um the names of the these businesses that have gone through and how long it takes and, and what it, what that process looks like? Yeah, sure. Uh, who can I talk about? So let's talk about um, uh, Syncio. So Syncio is a uh, Shopify plugin that allows uh, a retailer has multiple stores to move all their stock around behind the scenes. So it's doing a lot of data moving around and allowing them to be really efficient at what was a very clunky process. So Jimmy from Syncio, I met Jimmy, he was doing Startmate. So he was doing an accelerator here in Melbourne, which is probably Australia's best accelerator. Um, met Jimmy. Jimmy was a um, is just a really level-headed guy. He's like, I'm going to build a really solid business here. And um, and he did. So um, when he graduated Startmate, usually a demo day is like, cool, we're raising a round. You know, we're raising $2 million. Please come in. He's like, I'm not raising anything. I'm going to hit a million dollars in revenue. And when I do, I'll consider what comes next. So he did exactly that another eight or nine months after the thing and then came back to us and said you know we're we're actually running a profitable company we want to go faster um so here we go so he came in sideways um through the front door they're all in motion yet so i don't have any ones that have come in through the apply form but at the moment um 
the majority of people who are in our portfolio have come in from, I guess, once removed connections. Um, but yeah, there's a, so yeah, Sinkio is a, is a really good example of a company that um, could raise venture right now if the founder wanted to. Like they're growing like ridiculously fast, but he's just not in that position. I just don't want to do it yet. Yeah, which is great because he's of the view that, you know, the equity that he he wants to retain is going to be worth multiples of, of what it will be at some point in the future. But uh, so it'll be key, interesting to keep an eye on Sinkio as um, mm-hmm. as I am aware of of, of them and, and the great work they're doing. But um, one company that I, I have been looking at recently and full disclosure, um, I invested in this company and uh, I also believe you did too, Matt, is the non-alcoholic beer company Heaps Normal. I'm interested, was this a personal investment or was this a, a tractor investment? And can you provide listeners a bit of color what attracted you to the Heaps Normal business and, and kind of walk us through that process? Yeah, so uh, personal investment, not a tractor investment. Uh, they did start, mate, uh, which I am a partner at. So I got visibility and I watched what they did over 12 uh, weeks, which is how long the accelerator works for, uh, goes not goes for. Um, and I just really love it. I'm not a big drinker. Um, like I'm, I, I love driving, so I'm quite, quite often a designated driver. Um, so it just, it fits in my lifestyle really well. Um, I'm of the belief that there's a whole generation coming up behind Gen X is what I am, um, who care about their health more than we did. Um, and I think that there's just a big movement. And, and, you know, if we look around the rest of the world, the Europe, like non-alcohol, the non-alcohol category in Europe is, ridiculously large um and the guys are just fantastic you know they care about what they do you know they've got a great personality they've got a great voice um they executed really well um the nice thing about being inside start mate is you get to watch people work for pretty closely for for 12 weeks you know how they absorb feedback uh what they do with it what they don't do with it um all strong leading indicators as to whether or not i'm I'm happy to to get involved now um as much as I'd love to talk, to talk about heaps normal, there is there is something that, that has popped up quite a, a bit in our discussion, which actually wasn't in my notes, but I'm, I'm keen to explore it. And that is Startmate. So for someone not familiar with the Startmate process, can you, can you provide um, listeners with a bit of color as to what that process is, what it looks like, typical companies that Startmate accept? Because I do know that heaps normal wasn't, a typical um, company and um, yeah, provide, provide us a bit more color on that. Sure. So start mates, a, a, an accelerator. So an accelerator is a 12 week program, if you will. Um, and start mates a mentor led accelerator. So all the mentors involved contribute the money and then start mate will uh, invest. It's, it's a fund every, every cohort twice a year, there's two funds every year and the fund invests 75 grand into these companies and then throws the kitchen sink at them for 12 weeks. Um, and usually during that time, uh, they accelerate. That's what an accelerator does. And, and, and every company is different. So the definition of acceleration is, is different for everybody. Sometimes it's revenue, sometimes it's product, you know, uh, product design, something, whatever stage in the stage could be as early as an idea right up to, you know, um, heaps normal were pumping out tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of litres of beer by the end of it. So it's a pretty big spread. Uh, they're usually technology companies. So, you know, you're right. Heaps Normal was an outlier. Uh, that said, um, you know, they're kind of a digital first beer company in the fact they're, you know, the D2C, they do a lot of stuff online. 
e-commerce is a big part of it. They obviously have distribution into a lot of lot of um, retailers now. But um, yeah, the, the companies who go through it are, are quite diverse. Um, we I've been involved since 2016, 2017. Um, and it's it's it is really the place where founders go to be pushed pretty hard for 12 weeks. Um, and there's been lots of companies that have gone through there that I've invested in afterward. It's really good for deal flow. It's really good to, to be able to see who's doing what and then pick and choose. Any idea in terms of the Startmate funnel, kind of how many apply to try and get into Startmate and what actually get through to the other end of the funnel and, and get accepted? Because this does, does sound like a fantastic opportunity for someone that's got a great idea, getting some traction, but they need their hand held to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, so I think numbers, I can't tell you exactly this, but mm. usually around the four to 600 people or founders apply or sets of founders apply. And usually there's 10 to 15 that pop out the other side twice a year. Okay. So, so it's, it's a fairly, fairly, fairly full on process. Yeah. So um, it's a great achievement in itself for someone to uh, get accepted for start, mate. Matt, we, we, we've touched on so many interesting aspects of your background, tractor, individual investments, and others. And um, before we go, I, I possibly should have started with this, but um, you set up Tractor Ventures and you're called Tractor Ventures. Matt, why the tractor? Uh, really good question. So um, it was, again, born out of my time at AWS. Um, we all know in technology land, people talk about unicorns. Yep. Um, and unicorns being a company that a privately held company that's worth a billion dollars. And I'm like, you do realize that us 40 year olds walking and talking around unicorns make us sound like idiots. So I prefer an analogy of rockets versus tractors. So a rocket is exciting, uh, but they're expensive and a non-insignificant number of them blow up before they're able to land on the moon or Mars. Yep. Um, and then tractors can also be expensive, but they're, you know, they, they get to work, they solve a problem. And if you tell a, a, a farmer, you're going to take his tractor off him. He's got to be upset. So, and the analogy sort of goes on to another level. And a lot of the founders that we back at Tractor are kind of like digital farmers. You know, they're down to earth people who really love their customers, who really like their craft. You know, they produce a product that people pay for and they're willing to just sort of keep going. And, and the interesting part about our Tractor founders versus the Rocket founders is that I don't think they're any less ambitious than the Rocket founders. They're just doing it differently. They're just not willing to put their company into that state where if it explodes, we'll have to go get something else to do. You know, they're more about methodically doing what they do. And it's more like compound interest rather than a linear growth line, you know, just letting the thing grow as well as it can so that when it gets big, it's, it's off a solid foundation. That's, that's fascinating for, for many reasons. Um, and it's a good note to end on. I, I love it, Matt, because what we just saw there was the power of storytelling and you actually are providing an example of make it easy for people to understand that um, um, this opportunity and, and, and how it applies to our other businesses that aren't all the unicorns and the, the triple comma club. Um, Matt, thanks very much for taking the time to chat on the Richards Report. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks for listening in. It is great to be back. Don't forget to donate or sign up for Fred's big run in August. And if nothing else, subscribe and give me a ratings on iTunes. I do appreciate it. 
See you next time on The Richards Report.